This is a HeadGum Podcast. Today's episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast is brought to you by Treat Your Scalp Well This Year and go to My Fluffy Puffs. Go to MyFluffyPuffs.com and check out their Hydrate collection of products from their Mango Whip to their Shampoo and Body Bar. If you go to their website now, MyFluffyPuffs.com, you can use the code HYDRATE10 and save 10% off of your next order. MyFluffyPuffs.com Premiering February 1st, Misty Nights Uninformed Afro. Welcome to our new podcast, Misty Nights Uninformed Afro. The new podcast series will dive into the origin stories, character development, and story arcs of our favorite black superheroines and characters in comics. These are the obscure stories you don't always hear about, and we share commentary on some of our favorite moments in comics. We're going into deep discussions about Storm, Misty Knight, Monica Rambeau, Vixen, Amanda Waller, Riri Williams, Lunella Lafayette, and the Dora Milaje. The series has two hosts, founder and managing editor of BlackGirlNerds.com and host of the BGM podcast, yours truly, Jamie Broadnax. And Stephanie Williams, host of The Lemonade Show. Each episode will reference comic book issues, dates, and creators. That way you can go back and check out the stories for yourself. By the end of the series, you will become a certified expert in the fictional world of black superheroines. Please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. See you soon. You are now listening to the Black Girl Nurse podcast, hosted by Jamie Broadnax. Tune into this fun-filled episode featuring some of the best in geek entertainment. BGN is international and hard all over the world. BGN is everywhere. Jamie Broadnax がお届けするブラックガールナードポッドキャスト、略して BGN。BGN は世界のオタクたちに向けて発信するオタクエンターテインメント番組です。Hey, this is Steve Harper, creator of Send Me, an original web series, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. This is Ben Jones with Yes We Code. You are listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Hey, this is Jules Smith, creator of Afrocentric the Comic, and you're listening to Black Girl Nerds. This is Sanai Sydney, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hi, I'm Andre Meadows. I have a YouTube channel, Black Nerd Comedy. Have you heard of it? Don't matter, because you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast, the best podcast in the whole world that I'm doing a promo for right now. Boom! Hey, I'm Effie Brown, and I'm a producer of Dear White People, Real Women Have Curves, and recently you probably saw me on HBO's Project Greenlight. And you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, what's up? This is Morris Chestnut, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast.
everyone from sleazy men Born apologize for spitting Shonda rhymes The space that we make is never colonized We're talking games and movies that actors Words Better shake your booties for black girl nerds Better shake your booties for black girl nerds Yeah Better shake your booties for black girl nerds Better shake your booties for black girl nerds Better shake your booties for black girl nerds Thanks for tuning in to episode 100 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This is obviously a milestone for us, so what are we going to do to celebrate it? Well, we're going to do a best of show. So we are presenting you with some of our favorite episodes throughout the years in a roundtable discussion featuring myself, Karan, Kayla, and Mel. That's all going to be presented in segment one. Then we move on to segment two, where we talk about the movie Hidden Figures. That's right. Hidden Figures debuted about a few weeks ago in select theaters and was released nationwide on January 6th. And we are so excited to talk about this movie. We've been waiting for everybody to get a chance to see it so we can all talk about it together as a group. And we present that to you in segment two. And then in segment three, we talk about another great film. This one premiered on Christmas Day called Fences, based on the August Wilson play of the same name, and we are incredibly excited for that one as well. So we're talking about movies, and we are presenting some of our favorite moments from the Black Girl Nerds podcast in episode 100, featuring myself, Kayla, Karan, and Mel. So sit back, relax, enjoy this show, and thanks for your support over the years. Thank you for riding with us through all of these times. You know, technically, this is more than just our 100th show. We've been around for a while, since March of 2013. If you remember, you were with us during those blog talk radio days where we used to do this show live and live tweet the show as we were actually broadcast. Those were some very fun days, and uh, we appreciate all you listeners that are still with us to this day. And if you're new to the Black Girl Nerds podcast, feel free to go back to our archives and check those out. You can still check out some of our old episodes on iTunes and uh, you'll find some interesting gems in there. Um, But thank you so much for listening to our show. And if there's someone that you know that has not heard about our podcast, tell them about it. Remember, you can tune into our show via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Spreaker, and Spotify. Thanks for tuning in to episode 100, 100 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. This is our best of show featuring hidden figures and fences. Enjoy. Thank you for tuning into this episode. I'm very excited because we're going to do something a little different to celebrate our 100th episode. We're going to do a best of show. So we're going to celebrate some of our favorite moments of the BGM podcast with all of you. And I'm here to celebrate that with our guests and co-hosts, Karan, Kayla, and Mel. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Hey, hey, hey. Thank you. I'm so excited. Me too. I am too. I am too. Now, I want to say that this is technically not our 100th episode. We've done more episodes 
If you go way back since uh, March of 2013, if you were riding with us during the Blog Talk radio days, there are some episodes that we did, about 50 episodes actually. So you can find those on iTunes, but uh, then we transitioned on to TWIB and then we're now independent and uh, affiliated with HeadGum and we've reached 100. So I just wanted to throw that out there that we're actually like at 150 episodes. Probably more than that if you count the extras. That's true too. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. we've been, we've been podcasting for a minute. For a minute. So, yeah, so I, I want to get started on talking about some of our favorite episodes from BGN episode one up into this episode 100. What What's our favorite ones? And we'll, we'll go in order. We'll start with um, Karan, Kayla, and then Mel, and then myself. And I want to know what was your favorite one and why and why that particular episode resonated with you so much so karan you you go first my favorite one was the x-files episode oh that was your first episode with us that was my first episode (laughs) and we're coming up on one year in two weeks so that it's has sentimental value but it it was also it was the moment when i realized i found my tribe oh i think i was i was on travel that weekend i had just flown in from denver um and then flown in from Denver to North Carolina and then from North Carolina to Washington, D.C. Um, my cousin had a play that she produced for BET and I went to support her and, and got a chance to spend time with my family. So when we recorded the X-Files episode, I was in my hotel and it was it was it was fabulous, too, honey. But um, <laughs> it was just that episode means so much to me because I really understood the power of what black girl nerds meant at that moment. And um, the X-Files kind of has a a nostalgic connection to me and my eldest daughter as well, who I got to see that weekend for the first time in a long time. So, um, because she grown and she lives somewhere else. Hallelujah. And, um, (laughs) (laughs) but um, yeah, that, episode was everybody was just themselves you guys welcomed me and all my kookiness and my goofiness and um I got a chance to really get to know who you guys were behind the mic and it was really awesome for me awesome well let's go ahead and take a listen to your episode with us your very first one the x-files what do you guys think about the cigarette smoking man (laughs) Oh, I, I wasn't oh. expecting that at all, but not through his neck, no. <laughs> if we can suspend disbelief that he did actually die in the finale, but let's leave that alone since they clearly have. But I, right, I still feel like he is. I still, it, he has been dangling that carrot in front of Mulder and Scully for like nine seasons. I think it's yeah. interesting that he's back because something tells me he. We know he knows secrets. I mean, he pretty much knows everything. And I'm just trying to like, I'm I'm trying to figure out how does he still play into this? Because is he going to really reveal what exactly they need to know about about what they've been through with the X-Files, about William? He, He's got to be attached to William in some way or shape or form. It, yeah. it just doesn't make sense to bring him back just like that without some sort of really good motive. And I feel like he's attached to William. Yeah, I hope he doesn't have William. Ew. 
it was confirmed in the finale that he is Mulder's father. So right. I, I believe right. that. So yeah, who knows? Okay, but who's holding the cigarette to his neck? That's what I need to know. He's like, he's like, right. you know, the the blizzard roaches, the, the roaches that will survive anything. But how do you survive getting burned to death? I don't Why understand that. I think, I think that ties into <laughs> the, yeah, I think it ties into the conspiracy and everything. Oh, if, okay. If, if, if there's Hence some the cigarettes. And... It feels super implausible. I feel like I'm rationalizing something that just cannot be rationalized, but it has to has to be the that has to be it. I mean, yeah. I mean, you come back as the Phantom of the Opera. Did you see that thing on the side of his face? Yeah, yeah. That's how he he's came all toasty. Back. I mean, there's probably something that they can bring bring people back to life with. I mean, they have everything else in the X Files, so probably just drink something or they put him in a bath and then. He just came back. But we saw his face get melted off to the point where he was a skeleton. <laughs> we saw his skeletal remains. Yeah, like, I'm just like, how that. does that happen? Well, how do we know that he's human? Um, Kayla. <sighs> this was the hardest thing to come up with, was like my favorite <laughs> episodes that I've been a part of. Because just like Karan, I'm coming up on a year with BGN and it's like, where has time gone within a year it feels like it's been a hundred years um but not in a bad way so I didn't pick my first episode I picked an episode where I kind of finally knew that I was doing something I was supposed to do but I was also living my dreams and it was the episode we recorded with Daryl M. Bell from a different world yes yes I I remember calling my mother in tears after Jamie responded back and said, you got that one. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) just like so utterly happy because I'm on the younger end of the spectrum, um, you know, coming up on 30. So I I was young when the show was on and, but it it resonated with me. And so being able to sit down and talk to him, uh, I went into it thinking this is going to be great. Ask him all these questions and just kind of, relive my 90s youth and and I ended up getting the best interview I've ever had um because he can speak and when he speak his words have weight and we mm-hmm. all got like a master lesson in how to give a lecture um yeah he could have probably talked <laughs> for about 45 more minutes <laughs> or hours yeah <laughs> or hours yeah um, but yeah, it just, I, I knew I was doing something that was going to stick with me. I was meeting these people that have had an influence on me, but then I was also opening up doors for younger people that might not know who he is, um, yeah. and his significance. And so, yeah, that was, that was a good thing for me. And it was very powerful, powerful interview. So let's listen to Daryl M. Bell drop some knowledge on us on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. For, for me, what's missing in, in entertainment, I would say, particularly as everyone has talked about diversity, I would talk about it with greater specificity. I don't think it's just diversity for, and if you're going to define diversity, by the ethnicity of those who are allowed to tell stories. Because my experience is, there's a lot of diversity in the people behind the cameras to some extent but they're telling the same stories. Oftentimes when 
when people bemoan some of the stories, particularly of those of color, they say, well, we, we've seen that before. We've seen this story before. We've seen this story before. It continues to portray the pathology of our community. And unfortunately, I see oftentimes with stories from people of color, what's missing is balance. If you want to tell the stories about those who, you know, grew up in a life of crime and struggling and, and were underprivileged and then they started, you know, a business or something like that, I've seen a lot of stories like that. All right. Mel? All right, then. Um, I, I think my first podcast uh, episode was in 2015, but I'm not exactly sure when in that year i just know that because it was an entirely different apartment i was living in and that's the only reason i can remember (laughs) um so my favorite episode is um episode 20 uh curves and cosplay oh yeah yeah and i loved it because i love cosplay and um that episode um it dovetailed with a lot of my views on cosplay while taking it a step further because there was a discussion on gatekeeping, and I never really thought of it that way. And that's exactly <laughs> what it is when people have an issue with cosplaying outside of your race or cosplaying outside of your size. So um, it's inspiring. That whole episode was inspiring in the sense that um, it normalized something that a lot of fandom rejects. So I can be fat and I can be black and still cosplay, and there's nothing wrong with that. And it's also inspiring in the sense that um, I was re-listening to it, and I haven't really been feeling the um, the cosplay bug this year. I've been very um, ambivalent about it for the past couple of months. But listening to that episode made me immediately want to get a pad and start writing down ideas for what to do for this season. So that is my favorite episode. Curves and cosplay episode on Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Let's take a listen. Um, I definitely think that strong female characters help men see women as more than just objects. So that is awesome. Um, I think for women, I think it helps them relate better to these characters because they actually see someone that's like them. Um, Positive representation is super, extremely powerful. For me, um, there is this body love activist, uh, her name is Vir- Virgie Tovar, and I found her YouTube series online, and I could definitely relate to her because she's Filipina, and she's fat, and she's fat positive, and so watching her videos and reading her blogs really inspired me and helped me recognize my value and potential as a fat brown woman, and uh, inspired me to be more proactive in my activism. So representation is super life-changing. All right. Well, for me, one of my favorites was BGN 44. This episode was titled The Four Sleeps on Women of Color. And it was myself, The Revolution, and Rebecca Theodore Vachon. We all knew, of course, Star Wars has had a huge problem with women of color and uh, black women in particularly when it comes to casting roles. So we put together this episode and it was just really funny. Uh, there was a lot of honest banter between myself and the revolution and Rebecca. 
And it, it was, for me, one of the most entertaining yet informative discussions um, about Star Wars that I've heard on a podcast. It was an honor, rather, to be a part of that. And having a very animated guest like Ramon come on the show made it very fun to listen to. So, yeah, BGM 44, The Force Sleeps on Women of Color. Take a listen. You know, like, let's do, let's, let's really let her shine through here. They mm-hmm. could have changed it. It's an excuse. I don't want to hear it. I, I, I really don't care. And it's, it's funny, even Star Trek, right? My, my aunt used to always make this joke, right? And she used to say, niggas cannot catch a break in outer space in the future. She was like, you got, <laughs> she was like, you got one nigga who, who's a, uh, an alien who, mm-hmm. with a turtle shell for a head. And oh. then you got a, another nigga <laughs> with an S curl and he's crippled. Wow. That's <laughs> and he so can't true, get his though. girlfriend with a banana clip on his face. Oh. And, I, listen, when you when you look at that, when you look at that, you go, damn. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's funny how we just can't be in this in this space and time as ourselves. Like, right. the, the woman should have been. Listen, if and she it's science been, fiction fantasy, like you're making all of this up, so it shouldn't be that hard. That, right. That's the point. That's the point. It's not based on real life events where you're like, okay, well, this person is actually white, so that's why we have to cast them as white. Like, no, you don't. That's the point. That's the point. And Jamie, I, I sat at breakfast, and that was something I came in. Thank God that you said this, and I want to, I want to repeat that and 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 reinforce it if I may. Mm-hmm. You know what, Jamie? You know what, Rebecca? You know what, BGN listeners? Fantasy is something for us to aspire to. Mm. it's for us to look at and to dream and say, oh my God, I want to live in that world. And if we cannot go, oh my God, I want to live in a world of total inclusion where everyone is important, everyone is badass, every, like, how can you get there if you don't let, let's just be clear, if you don't let white people see this, and let them go, because oh, you know what, guess what, black girls, and I'm, and I'm not, please don't take me as minimized, but you know what, you guys are always going to kick ass, you guys are always going to make inroads, you guys are going to be fucking phenomenal, until this goddamn marble stops spinning, okay, because you are, you were born and bred to be fucking awesome, period, die, right, mm. it's these white people that have to go, oh my god, so you guys aren't just mammies, Oh my God, you aren't just dancers. Oh my, like, oh, you can be powerful. Like, they have to see what we are capable of in this realm. All right. Karan, your second fave? My second favorite has to be geek misogyny. Oh. Like, we have such incredible and wonderful guests. Um, and we, we've really been blessed. 2015. 2016 was an amazing year um, for Black Girl Nerds. Uh, but when we took a deep dive into geek misogyny, that thing got real. I cried, mm-hmm. remember? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you cried on that episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I cried. I'm the crier. But it was, it, that was, that was, you know, when I realized how safe of a space we have and how special of a place we hold in the culture. And um, that's when I 
I don't know. There's 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 a moment you become a part of something and you and you know that there's power in it, and then there's a a moment you know that that power that power is a part of you now, and that's when I felt that when we did Geek Misogyny, that thing was amazing. Yeah. All right, let's take a listen to Geek Misogyny podcast. It just gets so damn tiring. I'm so tired. <laughs> <laughs> and I just got emotional because I walked into a comic book store and I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry on the podcast for the first time wearing my BGN shirt and to check me and say, why black girl nerds? And do you even know what you're picking up? I am so damn tired of it. And to get checked in front of my son hmm. who knows more than the dude bro standing in the corner staring at us because we're picking up stuff we like. I'm not walking in there just picking up random stuff. And the people that own the comic book store know me. So, you know, they had to check them. But I am so tired of the bullshit that comes from dude bros that I'm upset right now, but I'm past that to the point where I'm pissed and to the point where if you're going to come for me, I'm going to come for you. Because I'm done with it. I'm done with being checked on things. The person I'm with romantically, like Karan said, because I have the same interest as him. The fact that I can go to a comic book store with him and pick up things with him because he knows I like it and I know what he likes is everything. So don't cut, try and come for me because I spent my entire life being different. And now I have a space with people that are like-minded like myself. So you're going to check me because of my shirt. You're going to check me because I'm in the store and you don't think I know what I'm talking about. I'm completely over it. So, yes, we're going to keep creating these spaces because you keep pushing us out. So, yes, when they ask me, yeah, go to Black Owners. Just go check out the site now because now your interest is peaked because you saw my shirt. So thanks. You know, we're just going to keep putting the word out there because at this point we're done defending ourselves and explaining ourselves to why we're doing these things and why we're into them. We're into them just because just the same way they are into these things. I don't owe you an explanation. And that's where I'm at with that. I'm like over it. All right, Kayla. Um, this one was really special because the whole episode was just kind of a really big moment for me. Um, Jamie likes to say that this happened because of me, but I like to think, it happened because she's given me the platform, but we got LeVar Burton. Yes! <laughs> yes! This was not my doing. <laughs> I just tweeted something and it just, I don't know what happened from there because I was like freaking out doing cartwheels in the living room. Um, but I don't think we were ready. We were not prepared for what was about to happen. Um, and he had us all in tears. Um, and I think it's a really important episode to reflect back on um, right now, especially with all that we're about to go through for the next four years. Um, I think what he had to say about where we've come as um, black people um, in our place in this world and the leadership that we've had, I was just taken aback. Um, 
he was so excited to be on here, which was so cool. <laughs> yes, was like, he said he was a fan. <laughs> <laughs> which was amazing. And the fact that he, like, he the, the tagline he recorded for us, and he was so excited to do it with the Reading Rainbow twist. It was just, it was, it was everything. And then also on the episode, um, the talk, Jamie, that we had after, um, really candid, really real, just us being black girl nerds. And mm-hmm. I really loved that, having those moments. Um, we're not perfect. And so just letting them have the glimpse of what we talk about when we're, you know, about to record or what we talk about after recording um, which was just really nice. And the whole episode has really stuck with me. So I have to say, episode, it was 77, I remember, because I I bookmarked it on my computer Mm -hmm. screen. (laughs) (laughs) Daily listening. Let me put this on my resume. I spoke with LeVar Burton. I I don't think you need to see much else. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Well, let's listen to the blurred icon, the legendary LeVar Burton, take us all to school on this episode. The courage, the wherewithal, and the strength to survive the most atrocious acts in the history of humanity. They tried to eliminate us, y'all. And we are still here. Amen to that. So there is no shame in being black and American, in my point of view. We have helped this country, We look, the, the modern world, look, depending upon the, the historian that you talk to, between only five and 15% of the ships that left the west coast of Africa landed on these shores. So where did those the other 85% go? They went to the Caribbean, they went to South America, they went to Europe, the modern world as we know it, between the colonization of Africa, between the British Raj and the transatlantic slave trade, the modern world as we know it was built on the backs of people of color. You feel me? Oh, yes. Most definitely. So, so don't talk to me about I don't want, I don't need to hear that story anymore. Because you only revealed to me that you have no idea in saying that. You have no clue who you are and where you come from. Wow. All right, Mel? Okay, so um, my second favorite is episode 90, The Luke Cage Show. Yes. And that was just an extravaganza of awesomeness. Mm -hmm. It was, we were so hungry for this show. And then to hear everybody on it basically (laughs) talk about (laughs) the show and what they loved about it and how awesome it was going to be. It was just so, so warm and so filling. And I think my favorite part of that episode was listening to Cheo um, talk about music, like what it meant to him as a kid and how it informed the development of the show because music was so important in that show. And hearing him discuss that was really nice. All right, let's listen to the Luke Cage show with Cheo Hidari Coker talking about the music behind the show. Yeah. 
Uh, I would say, the thing was, was that I always knew how much culture was going to resonate. And so the balance for me was the balance between making sure that I could accomplish everything that I wanted to do culturally, but then at the same time, making sure that we met the standards of geeks around the world. Because particularly Marvel geeks, are, not only are Marvel geeks rabid, they're very specific and very articulate about, about what it is they want and how they want it. And so it was kind of making sure that we had that balance. I think one of the reasons that I broke through was really that pitch that, that you know, that I talked about where I said when I was with um, Jeff Loeb and um, Kring's Rake, where I said I saw the show as the combination of, you know, Belly Meets City of God as written by the staff of The Wire. I mean, really, strangely enough, the thing that turned them on the most, or at least Jeff, was when I said Belly. Because at the time, I didn't realize that he and Hype Williams were really tight. And so um Belly, in a way, set a tone because it let them understand that I really wanted to do something that was visually bombastic and could be identified with hip-hop, but then at the same time had the potential, you know, for sophistication because... Malik Saeed, the way that he did the cinematography for Hype, I mean, it just, that movie itself was beautiful. You know, City of God really created a world, and The Wire managed to balance entertainment with, you know, deep societal commentary, as well as um, just getting real to a point where it actually puts you up on culture, rather than it being, you know, like a theme park. All right. Well, um, this is actually my favorite. I'm not really going in any particular order, but most of you guys on Twitter can guess what my favorite episode is <laughs> because the hotness that is Idris Elba happened <laughs> yes, and I lived to tell about it. <laughs> so to kind of give you guys some backstory, Idris Elba had followed the Black Girl Nerds account I think it was on New Year's Eve of 2015 or maybe 2014, I forget. Um, but he had followed the account. I had, you know, not really made any kind of contact with him through direct messaging for a year because I was just too scared to. So I casually tweeted that I still haven't slid into his DMs. And everybody, <laughs> everybody on Twitter that follows the Black Girl Nerds account was like, you need to, you need, you need to get him on the podcast. You need to go ahead and DM him. And um, because of you guys and the peer pressure, I went ahead and sent him a direct message. Lo and behold, he responds like within 24 hours, which was crazy to me. I didn't expect to get any response. Um, and as it turned out, I was actually going to be traveling to San Diego Comic Con. And he was appearing at San Diego as well to promote Star Trek Beyond. So my, um, I got together with his publicist and we were able to coordinate it. And we ended up having an interview right then and there in his hotel in San Diego <laughs> and had a chance to meet face to face with Idris Elba. So, um, and you hugged him, right? I hugged him. I smelled <laughs> him. He touched my leg a couple of times. You can actually check out the interview because it was filmed on our YouTube channel. And we do have an episode. It was actually episode 83 where you can f listen to it. So why don't we do that? Why don't we listen to the hotness that is Idris Elba talks to black girl nerds. Shake your booties for black girl nerds. 
there's a reason why the character is doing whatever they do, and, and I and I search for that reason. I search to try and pull out why, maybe not over philosophize it, but just humanize it. Because I think that's what makes uh, more of a sort of 3D character. If you just play the bad guy and you just play a lot of anger, you, you, you know, you can you can lose the audience really quickly. Um, so I, I tend to go for characters, whether they're good or bad, but trying to find a way that makes them real. You know what I mean? Like honest about what, whatever they are. I'm a nerd. Really? Okay, we're, we're going to talk about this. I can't wait to hear. <laughs> oh, really? The beginnings of evolution, that's the process of our evolution, you know. Our children's children will probably have less of those divides, and so will entertainment. Um, so I think it's really important that us uh, of this generation sort of lay the seeds down properly, you know. Uh, let's lose the race card, let's lose the, you know, the, the, the gender divide, and, and just make entertainment. All right, Karan? Okay, so there were, um, I have an honorable mention, but, I'm, and I'm going to get to my, my favorite, but my honorable mention has to be Sam Benjamin of The Few. Oh, um, so adorable. He has, he's become such a good friend, and he is just amazing. Um, but if I had to choose a favorite, the most impactful, the most incredible, the most amazing, the most um yeah, I did that shit interview was Ava DuVernay. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I swear I grew a foot when I talked to her and I had a chance to talk to her several times that week and just, you know, we play cousins now and she called me sis and it's like, you know, I just, I, I, I adore her brilliance. I adore her fortitude and I adore the fact that she is unapologetic about who she is and what she does and the story she's going to tell. Honey, I'm done. I, you can, you can tell me shit after I talk to Abe. You probably still can't, but. Exactly. <laughs> but oh that was, God. that was definitely, um, she was just so warm and so engaging every single time she's consistent and uh, I appreciate that so much about her and one day we're gonna one day I'm gonna see the beach in those trees on Oprah's estate with her um that we talked about that and um I'm gonna be there um but yeah she um it was just so it was so very special I felt such a huge uh sense of pride and dignity talking to her um for someone who who's come from uh the publicist side, she was a publicist for a long time. And, mm -hmm. and to to be a game changer in the middle of her life, you know, she she flipped her own script and uh and now she's flipping everybody's script. So <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally. <laughs> so yeah, Ava was she was she was the shit. <laughs> well let's take a listen to your interview with the legendary Ava DuVernay. Now, when we last spoke, you touched on women directing episodic television and some of those challenges. How important was it for you to gather an all-woman directorial crew? Well, I originally wanted to direct all of the episodes myself, um, but when Own and Warner Brothers, our great partners at Warner Horizon, decided that they wanted more story, they wanted to go from eight episodes to 13 episodes, I knew that it was impossible for me to do all 13 hours alone. So I invited some really amazing women to direct with me, just women whose films I love on the independent festival circuit over the years, women who I've gotten to know, just other directors um, on the scene. 
And so it became really important when I had the opportunity to make the hiring decisions that I did what Shonda Rhimes did for me when she hired me for my first episode mm-hmm. of television, my daily episode of Scandal. Um, and I hadn't even really been looking to break into television, but immediately after I did that episode, many, many offers flooded into me from other TV shows, kind of like she'd given me the stamp of approval, so it was okay for everyone else to take a risk on a lady director. And so it's a ridiculous premise. It's the way that this industry works. Um, it's the third. But these women who I had known had really tried to direct. You know, Victoria Mahoney had shadowed and, you know, um, Sally Richardson had taken every meeting and, you know, Nima Barnett used to direct television quite prolifically back in the day and just couldn't get her foot back in the door after she'd taken a break to, to tend, tend to some family issues. And so I knew all these amazing women and I just wanted to give them the opportunity that Sonda gave to me, but also, not just give them opportunity, they gave us a gift because they're mm. all badass. And so they just killed these episodes. I mean, just really fantastic, beautiful, sumptuous images. Um, they really, you know, just did such a beautiful job. I'm excited for people to see what they can do and get to know who they are. All right, Kayla. Um, I have honorable mention, but it's it's to Karan. I have loved recording with you over the past oh, year. Oh. It's been so amazing. From our blurred mom to your yes! giggling over reggae. <laughs> <laughs> I I have just had a pleasure, let me tell you. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> it's been awesome. But my my favorite one, and it was my first round table uh, I was on, and I'm pretty sure we're going to do one next month, too, um, was the Oscar uh, wrap-up round table. Oh, um, yes. Where we got to break it down. <laughs> and that was my first time I got to be um, just very blunt about how I feel. You guys heard me talk about how Sofia Vergara does not represent me as a Latina, and I'm going to say it to this day, she don't. So um, I, I just, I was able to be completely honest about how I feel um, about um, representation within the film and TV world, and it, the conversation we had was so open, so open, Um from talking about um, the people that did decide to show up, um, Oscar's so white. It was just, it was so freeing to be able to be a part of that conversation. Um, our roundtables have been awesome from dragging X Men Apocalypse and Suicide Squad <laughs> <laughs> and Batman versus Superman. Oh, yes. Honestly, <laughs> oh, our yes. roundtables have been like, to our round table for our just complete love of Luke Cage. I have been so honored to be on those round tables and just let all the tea just spill. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So then let's take a listen to our Oscars round table clip that Kayla loves so much. I did... But I also was, I was like, Quran, I was watching it because I wanted to see Chris Rock and, you know, see what actually would happen and how he would actually handle the situation. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see if he showed up, really. I just wanted to be that person. <laughs> like, does he show up? 
but also I was watching um, on my laptop. I was watching my favorite movie that was underrated and never got a nomination. It was Tortilla Soup with all of my favorite Latinas. So for me, mm. it was one of those things where I'm like, okay, well, if I'm going to watch it, I'm going to watch my movie. And I ended up focusing more. I was tweeting and I was also, you know, kind of going back and forth with Quran. And then I was like, all right, well, I started focusing on the movie because it got really boring. The Oscars used to be able to have that little touch that would keep you watching. Hmm. I got bored, you know? Yeah. All I wanted to, you know, the only thing that got me interested was when he did the, you know, the cookies. And then I was like, oh, I, I got girls oh. refrigerator, so let me go grab some. So. <laughs> well, for me, I did not watch. I was watching Justice for Flint, like many of you, and it was phenomenal. I loved it. I loved seeing Jasmine Sullivan and Music Soul Child and Jesse Williams. It was a delight. And I'm a huge stand for Ryan Coogler. And just seeing the fact that he put this all together on a night where he could have been at the Oscars. You know, his film was being recognized through the performance of Sylvester Stallone, but he elected to do something even greater, and I donated as well. So it was great watching that stream. But I did watch the Oscars by way of my Twitter timeline, and that was a lot more entertaining (laughs) than actually watching the Oscars. And then I watched the, you know, The Walking Dead. Uh, so it, it was a very interesting night for sure. So tell me what you guys thought about Chris Rock's performance. Um, hmm. Well, I didn't watch it, but I, I mean, I didn't actually watch the Oscars as it aired, mm-hmm. but I got to see the clips afterwards. Right. And I am severely disappointed. Yeah. Severely. Um, you know, there are, it's like, God, I don't even know where to start. It's just, as a collective, every all the jokes that I saw or that I heard, it didn't really sound like it was truly in favor for us. One of the great things about the fact that Chris Rock was hosting and the fact that Oscar So White happened was, okay, let's make white people uncomfortable, but also give them a chance to think about why Oscar So White is even a thing. This could have been a great opportunity where he shared clips of black actors and actresses that haven't been awarded that deserve to be awarded to see us, not even black, but also um, Latino, Latina, um, Asian, Native American. All of those groups had a chance, LGBTQ, disabled. We all had a chance to see our stuff being featured or to see our stuff being highlighted or to see us having some type of appreciation. That didn't come across. Instead, we just got really lame jokes freaking Stacey Dash. Um, one of the most annoying jokes that I saw was when Angela Bassett had like this little clip where she's talking about Will Smith, but then she ends up awarding Jack Black. What? Yeah, it was a clip that was, um, it was either shared on Twitter or um, on during the Oscars night. But if you see the video, it's just, it's as if it's this montage of Angela Bassett talking about a prolific actor that you would think is going to be Will Smith because of what they say. And then they award Jack Black as if to say how black people are still not awarded what they're, what they deserve. That is so and it's just like Right. It's just like I, I think, an opportunity to talk about something good. And that's what you do. I think that's the important part about, about context for the whole thing, because there are right. so many people that are commenting that did not watch the only saw the monologue or they only saw a clip that was not what that clip was at all 
All right, Mel. All right, I'm going to do an honorable mention too. And the honorable mention goes to the Sleepy Hollow season three finale episode. Oh. Yes. Well, Mostly oh because I was so angry. I that was so, so I'm still angry, but not as angry as I was then. I was so angry and I needed to let that poison out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this was a safe environment for me and everyone else to talk about how disappointed we were with the show, how angry we were with the show, how just just baffled how they could take something so good and then drive it into the ground so quickly. <laughs> I mean, it's almost amazing when you think about it. So that's my honorable mention. And my third pick, for completely selfish reasons, is um, a recent episode. It's when I got to talk to Pearl Mackey from Doctor oh. Who. Yes. And I got a chance to meet her and Peter Capaldi and you at Comic Con. And I'm so proud of myself that I handled myself in a professional manner. And then I did not <laughs> start screaming and pass out as soon as Peter Capaldi made eye contact with me. So, <laughs> and then Pearl was so, she was so nice and so engaging and so inviting. And I ran into her in the bathroom, their nasty bathroom. I don't know if you saw the bathrooms at Madison Square Garden that they have down there. <laughs> and I ran into her there and still nice. I was like, oh, this is a really good experience. <laughs> and I'm so happy I caught a chance to do it. So let's take a listen to this clip with Pearl Mackey and Mel over at New York Comic Con on our BGN podcast extra. Shake your booty for black girl nerves. Uh, yeah, over here it is. Yeah, yeah, we were, we did a date in Toronto before this, which was lovely. So who do we have here? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yes. Hey! Are you here? I know you. How's it going? We are so excited. I have friends who have never watched Doctor Who. Oh, who serious? Heard you're signing on. They're like, oh, I'm going to start watching that show now. I'm good. Yes. That's brilliant. That's what we want. Yeah. So how excited were you when you got the part? I mean, on a scale of one to excited, I was excited. <laughs> like, really, yeah, so excited. I mean, this is the most the most incredible thing that has ever happened to me. So I'm, I'm loving it. It's, it's great. It's like, it's like being welcomed into it into an amazing family um yeah and also i you know i get to travel through time and space which is pretty sick <laughs> yeah it's, it's amazing man it's, it's really good is it sort of unlike anything else in the amount of like secrecy and like press and yeah yeah i mean the secrecy around uh so when i got the job was mad i mean it was insane i had to keep it secret for like two months yeah which was crazy my friends were like where are you <laughs> so I was like, I can't really go out because like, oh, I'm not very good at like lying to people I've known for, you know, 20 years, like my whole life, like, you know, I'm not. And so they were just like, well, I've just, I've just been working, you know, I've just, just working. I've just, I've just been busy. But yeah, it's, um, it, it's mad. I mean, when I, when I told my mum when I first got the job, uh, I mean, when my agent called me even, she, uh, I was like, are you, are you sure? I had to call her back like two hours later and be like, Sorry, did I? Did you actually just call me and tell me that I, I just I got the job because I mean I've imagined this loads of times since since the audition. I just need to know for sure. 
Yeah. We and she's like, yeah, you did. But I mean, yeah, it was. It's it's mad. The, the secrecy has been insane. I mean, when we shot the trailer, we we went. Uh, you know, we had. I was doing a play at the time in the West End, and um, they like like stole me away in a car, drove me up to Cardiff. They were like, we can't bring a Dalek to London. You know, <laughs> they were like, people would be like, what is going on there? Hold on, I know what they're shooting. Yeah, so we did that, you know, in the middle of the night, and uh, the car broke down on the way, and it was it was it was mad. Yeah, I had about three minutes sleep because I was so nervous, and then got there the next day and shot it, and then couldn't even tell anyone after that that I'd been there. And I was just like, I've just been to Wales for the night and done shot something that's going to be on TV. It's going to be announced for like you know one of the biggest shows in the world. And, you know, I want to tell everyone, but I can't tell anyone. It was, it was insane. It was crazy. Okay, so I want to give an honorable mention to the ta Coates interview. Man. Uh, let me just yeah. give you some, some perspective here. First of all, obviously, ta Coates is a very respected man in uh, the publishing industry, in comics now with Black Panther. And getting him on the show was a huge deal. At the time, he was in Paris. So obviously, with the time difference, we recorded it during the day. And I have a day job. So I actually took off of work (laughs) to get this interview because I was like, damn it, I am going to be on this interview. It has to happen. (laughs) I recorded at work. Did you really? Yeah, I I closed my office door. I'm like, I'm going to be in a meeting for the next hour and a half. Don't disturb me. (laughs) I'm sure if you told them who you were interviewing you, they'd totally forgive you. Um, (laughs) Hold my calls. I'm talking to Ta-Nehisi Coates right now. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it it was just, it was really cool. And the interview went well. Mel was on there. Joelle was on there. Grace was on there with us. And uh, after the Skype call ended, when I looked at my file, which usually it'll let me know that a recording has completed and it'll show me the file, it wasn't there. I panicked. I was like, oh my God, like I scheduled time off of my job. Like he's Ta-Nehisi Coates. He's not going to just reschedule this interview with us. Um, And thank you to Joelle, our saving grace. She recorded (laughs) it (laughs) and uh, was able to get the clip delivered. So that happened. So thank you. Thank you, Joelle, for that. And and it was really fun uh, interviewing Ta-Nehisi because there was a moment in the interview with him where he was actually interviewing us. Like he kind of turned the tables and started asking us questions. So mm-hmm. I want to play the clip with, with Ta-Nehisi where he kind of starts grilling us and asking us questions during the interview. So take a listen. Grace, did you have a... Oh. Yeah. Um, so a professor... Um, came out with a documentary, Jonathan Gales came out with a documentary called White Scripts and Black Superman, looking at black black masculinities in comic books. And so he includes Black um, Panther in there and other black male characters. So with your take on, with the new um, comic, um, Black Panther comic, or kind of like remix, as you said, does it critique, enhance, or maybe even provide an additional face to black masculinity in 2016? Mm. What do you think? I mean, so far, I think so. I think, you know, like, Black masculinity has always been, like, very monolithic. And, like, you're beginning to kind of, like, insert layers into, you know, Black masculinity that it's it's not the same. So from what I've read just in this first issue, yes. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I look forward to 
you know, the rest to see how it fully develops, you know. Yeah, we got to talk after issue 12. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that. I, I don't know. Okay. Uh, all I can tell you is I just wanted him to be fully developed. You know, I didn't want him to be shaft. You know? Right. Or, um, right. I don't know. Um, Some black exploitation figure. Yeah, yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't want him to be that. And I also didn't want him to be back of Vance. You know, I just, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Interesting. That's a, that's a. <laughs> Interesting dichotomy right there. (laughs) This is Wakanda. This is ours. You understand what I'm saying? This is ours. This is us right here. This is, I mean, that's, it is, you know, I was powerfully influenced as a young person by Zora Neale Hurston, right? Because Zora wrote like white people didn't exist. Um, And so her fiction struck me as like some of the blackest, blackest shit I had ever Right, you know, she caught hell from uh, you know a lot of other writers during that period because it was felt that she didn't take on politics, she didn't denounce white racism in her work, she didn't do this, she did that. But all she did was write about the culture of black people in the black world. Right, yeah, it was just right. us. It wasn't, and I always thought like that was the most powerful thing, right? To not allow them to control the conversation, to not, you know, allow that in to write about our world independent of their world. And, and I guess, you know, I had, and this is not intentional, but, you know, when you said in Wakanda, this is what's going to happen. This is black folks. This is us right here. This is black folks. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I tried to, even in designing the world and <clears throat> pulling things together, I'm really, you know, trying to pull from different, you know, sort of diasporic traditions. Um, this is our mythology, you know? Um, that obviously doesn't mean other people, you know, shouldn't read it, you know, can't read it. Obviously they should. It's written, you know, it's for Marvel. But this is coming out of the black experience for me. That, that that's where I'm pulling from. I I don't want to be in reaction to things that, you know, to the way that white people have written black content. Because you're still caught up in the trap then. You understand what I'm saying? You're trying to undo some shit that they did. Right. You know, I'm trying my best to write free. And then I want to um, just mention my third favorite, because I know that that was the honorable mention. My third favorite was the most recent show that we've done, which was a PGM podcast extra among all of us. And that was the 2016 presidential election podcast. Yes. Oh, man. So lit. That was really lit. It got a lot of response from listeners. And I think it was just one of those shows where we just was so transparent with our feelings. And a lot of us, you could listen to the frustration in our voices. Mm-hmm. And I got real angry. You, you, you got, yeah, you, you really got angry. But then, you know, what you said resonated with me. And I think so many of our listeners, because they were just like, I needed to hear that. Uh, so this was a very important podcast for not only us, but for so many uh, marginalized people out there, women of color that needed to know that there are other folks out there that feel just as disappointed about this election as they are, even though mainstream media may not reflect that. Uh, there's a lot of us that were pissed off. So this episode did very well in articulating that. So I just want you to Take a listen to our BGM podcast extra on the presidential election. Obama was elected because I was immediately aware of people that I did not know were racist. Like, 
it was, oh my God, I've been living in this super white area. And I mean, obviously, you know, when you're in a pl- in an area that's white, but you're not aware that all of these people have been like over- undercover racist. So it was kind of the same. So obviously, we knew a lot. Obviously, Black America knew that America is not for us. But to see that white supremacy is just, you know gives zero fucks about us to the point that they'll elect this just super unqualified racist xenophobic sexist nothing just to punish us for obama is just okay so and then to see all of these people that i went to wake forest with or that i went to high school with just kind of either being passive or supporting him was just a bit much so i spent my day like that and it was just it was just a lot it was a lot (laughs) so kb here um i stayed up again probably until well off and on till about 1 30 um and i think really just my takeaways from the results were mostly like i don't want this this is not what i signed up for um, you can have this back. Um, a lot of those things. I tried really hard today to be positive, but, um, just after talking to, um, and I, and I know a lot of people say don't talk about politics with your, your coworkers, but my coworkers and I have, uh, become friends of sorts. And so, uh, we all felt the same way. So we had a very long venting session and, um, just even talking to it with my parents and like kind of what this means for them and um, what it means for all of us and then just discussing it with my best friends it it was a really tough day I think like just a very tough day to be um, a woman and a person of color uh, in America and just to wake up and and realize that this was not a a bad dream uh, that this is in fact reality and soon he will be inaugurated and you know we will have him speaking for us as the voice of America, like that is terrifying to me. And so, um, it has just been, I don't know, today I had a lot of self care where I just really needed to basically climb into a hole and, and figure out life itself. But, you know, also as someone who works in an industry that he wants to cut almost immediately, Um, it really was just like, oh, okay. So my entire life will probably change. You know, the moment, um, you are, uh, truly inaugurated and you really step foot into office. Thank you. So, um, in addition to really just, uh, kind of being overwhelmed with the results, uh, I also spent my day looking for a new job because clearly that's coming down the pipeline as well. So, yeah. We did all three, right? That was a hardcore episode. That that was a hardcore, yeah. Yeah, it really was. All right, so we're talking about Hidden Figures on this segment, the box office film that is right now number one, two weeks in a row, I should say, starring Taraji P. Henson, Octavia Spencer, and Janelle Monae, about the true life story of these three incredibly intelligent mathematicians that worked for NASA. And it's amazing that this story is just now coming into the fold. I did not know anything about these women when I was in school. Uh, Very little is known in the history books. So 
it kind of, it was a little bittersweet for me. Like I was excited to learn about their story, but I was so angry that I'm just now finding out about it. Mm-hmm. But Hidden Figures was absolutely fantastic and we're, we're going to talk about it. So I'm here with Karan, Kayla, and Mel to chat about Hidden Figures. Ladies, whoever wants to go first, what did you think about the film? I loved it. I thought it was the most uplifting, hopeful, encouraging, validating film I'd seen in a long time because it was real life. And um, all I could think about when I sat in the theater, I think for maybe 20 minutes after it was over and just wrote because I felt all of the energy from every time I had been passed over or rejected or had done the work. Um, I made a lot of money for a lot of global companies Mm. and never got the attention or recognition uh, for the work that I did. Um, A lot of times, especially when I was, you know, in the Navy, you know, I rewrote an entire curriculum for an entire population of the armed forces and my name wasn't on it. So I, I, it, 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 connected in a place that I did not expect. Um, but it made me so proud. I think, um, Tarazi, Janelle and, um, Octavia did an outstanding job. And, uh, every single time somebody, you know, slapped them with the backhand (laughs) in that film, I felt it. I felt it down to my core because this is, this is, how we've had to live. We've always had to take the back seat. And I was angry because I didn't know about these women either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had never heard of them. I'd never heard of them. I never heard the story. I'd never heard their names ever in my life. Yep. And we've heard so, of the, the white astronauts that were mentioned in the film. We heard about Alan Shepard and John Glenn. Yeah. But um, never these women that are responsible for these men being able to go into space and go onto the moon. So, very interesting. Kayla, what did you think about Hidden Figures? Um, it, it, well, I, I felt like you guys, like I was super excited to see the movie, but it, I was confused more than upset. I was confused as to why I was never taught about them, um, why I never really heard about them. Um, it just kind of took, it, like, it was just, me, when I first heard about it, I was like, well, I asked someone, I said, well, that's a cool story that someone wrote. They're like, no, this is actually somebody's life story. And I'm like, well, why the hell are we just now finding out about it? Um, so, sitting in there and watching the scene with Mary, uh, doubting herself saying I'm a I'm a colored woman there's no way I can become an engineer um even with what I have that that fear of getting in your own way um and underestimating yourself I felt that because people have always doubted you so in your mind I can't do it Mm -hmm. um I'm not gonna get there because this 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 and this I felt that to like my core because I've always done that. So having that reflected on TV, especially with some on a film, sorry, um, with someone doubting themselves, not just because of other obstacles, but their, their race being an obstacle, Mm -hmm. even though 
they are intelligent, it was it was good for me to see. It it hit a lot of chords with me. Um, it was it was really funny because my mom has always told me that my mind works faster <laughs> than when I the way I can put my words out and the faster than I can actually put it down on paper. Mm-hmm. And hearing that line about how Catherine is, um, I was like, there's a there's black women like me. That's not you know there, there's someone out there that's being reflected. So it was a. a it was great. I felt really great <laughs> watching it. Um, I cried a lot, um, especially with the scene with uh, Catherine coming back from the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was, um, it's, it's sad because it's still a fear I, I have as a, as, it's scary to say, as a black woman, when I have to excuse myself to go somewhere and I may not be at my desk when a person higher than me comes by, um, that they may think that I'm not doing my job. That's a fear still to this day, which is sad. Um, but I, that scene, I, I cried because I still feel that to this day. Um, and we've come very far, but watching it made me realize that we haven't come so far. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, that that's it was it was good, but it was still very um, like a, a magnifying glass. It, a lot of this shit still happens. Yep. Um, yep. That's what made me so. It was it was a little unnerving to know that. Damn, it's not too far off from 1961. And what you know, what was really frustrating for me was how racism and sexism like how you're willing to go the depths to stifle the progress of this country because Mm -hmm. of your own insecurities like Jim Parsons character Mm -hmm. Paul Stafford like (laughs) he reminds me of every white dude that I've worked with in corporate America I just want to say like I I've dealt with that guy um and him stifling Catherine's progress at every turn was so frustrating because Mm -hmm. who knows what kind of progress could have happened in our country had, you know, people like him gave her an opportunity to be able to excel and, and be promoted and to be able to take on areas of management or ownership, you know, to continue to keep her outside of the room to, continue to say oh well you know you're just a computer and 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 names are not authored you know and have her name not on those reports like it just really frustrate frustrates me to no end because i know that even still that there are women like Catherine that are out there that are being stifled from being leaders in whatever role that they're in just because there's that insecure white dude of privilege that Mm. doesn't want to see a woman or doesn't want to see a black woman doing better than they are knowing that they are smarter than them so um that really resonated with me just because i've had those experiences of you know being pushed back because well you know you're you're smarter than me so i'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that i keep you in your position and that i continue to excel in mine that that was the most frustrating part of the film but i i was happy to see that 
eventually things got turned around and that there are the Kevin Costners of the world that, you know, do step in and become an ally when they need to be and, and be able to, you know, as a gatekeeper, it's give those opportunities. Kevin Costner, though, isn't it? It's always, it's Kevin, always Costner. Kevin Costner. Yes. The um, poor man's Bruce Willis. Oh, wow. <laughs> But to give those to to give those opportunities uh, when when they're needed. So uh, yeah, it was it was very interesting. I love the fact that they didn't that they um they gave distinctive life to each woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They weren't a monolith. They had different views on the world. They had different politics. They had different ideas about how things should be run. About how they should behave about how they should face injustice. Um, they allow the women to stand on their own as individuals and, and not make them into a monolith. Um, they were three brilliant women in three very different but related um, areas of work. You know, the thing they had in common was NASA, but the work they did was very different. Yeah. So with Catherine being the computer and, and Mary being the, uh, the engineer and... Uh, and uh, it was just, I, I thought it was really remarkably done. I thought the kind of, I saw, uh, you know, there's a problem in Hollywood with just letting black people be black people, just letting you be people. And I felt like mm-hmm. we saw people. We didn't see, you know, these crazy, um, crazy events in their lives that blew everything up and nobody was getting shot, but they were women who were living out their lives in the truth um, and the time that they were in. And um, that and Mahershala Ali is fine. Hell yeah. (laughs) And I can uh, testify seeing him in person. He Mm. is a fine specimen of chocolate. Yes. Did he smile at you, Jamie? Mm. I need to know. Did he smile at you with that smile that he does? He he does. Yes, he did. He didn't smile at me, but he did smile. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I wish he smiled at me because then I probably would still be in San Diego and we would uh, be hanging out. But yeah, uh, he he did smile. It was his smile could disarm a warhead for real. It could. Yeah, it could. It lights up everything in its path. I just, you know, and and they they showed him in a role with a woman who wasn't emasculating him, but made sure he understood who she was. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, yeah. I love this movie. I loved it so much. I saw it um, opening weekend, really early on a Saturday, so the theater wasn't crowded, and it's one of those theaters with reserved seating. So what are the odds that the only other black girl in the theater was sitting directly behind me? <laughs> so. When the movie was getting ready to start, she just whispered to her boyfriend, we're about to see some black girl magic. And then I lost it at that moment. I was like, this is going to be lit. I love this. Even <laughs> if it's just us two, we see each other. <laughs> yeah. You give her a head nod? You're like, big up? <laughs> I gave her a little head nod from the front. <laughs> she can see it. She laughs. <laughs> I'm like, we're, we're together. We're together in this. And the thing that, two things struck me. One is that... We're watching a movie about our history that has nothing to do with slavery. And when was the last time that happened? (laughs) Thank you. Exactly. And then the second thing that I could not stop thinking about is that if this movie was not based on real events, it would be starring Kirsten Dunst and we wouldn't even be in the movie. Or we would be be starring 
We'd be the just, custodians that helped her realize her potential. Uh, because this is how Hollywood works. Mm-hmm. Hollywood would never have, have made a movie about black women scientists, mathematicians in the 60s because, one, they wouldn't have thought we were smart enough to do that. And two, they wouldn't have thought we were there at all because they seem to think that we were invented in like 1976. Before that, we were just quiet yeah, specters yeah. in the background. So I just could not stop thinking about that. And I'm like, oh, hmm. it made me sad and angry and annoyed, but then also happy that I got a chance to see this. Did you notice that the insufferable white characters were given redemptive moments at the end? Like they, they didn't want to keep them insufferable for yeah. long. Except for Jim Parsons character, because he remained an asshole through and through. But everybody else, they had their moments of, oh, I I did one good deed. Like the promotion of Dorothy by um, Kirsten Dunst's character and uh, the red haired girl. I don't remember her name, but when she had given Catherine the pearl necklace and. You know, I'm just like, were these moments really needed? Were you trying to make these white characters redeemable? Is, is that of what course. you were? Yeah. I didn't really see it as redemptive. I just saw it before you were a horrible individual. <laughs> well, not really horrible, but. Um, ignorant. Just, yeah, ignorant. And then now. Well, I guess that could be redemptive now that I think about it, but I just didn't really see it that way. I didn't think of it that way. And I was like, now you're treating people with basic human decency. And to me, that isn't, that shouldn't be that much of a hurdle. It shouldn't be that hard to do to cheat, to treat another person with basic human decency. So I didn't really see it as redemptive. I just saw it as you doing what you were supposed to be doing in the first place. What a thought. I had a, uh, a a white friend say, oh, my God, did you know that Kirsten Dunst was in Hidden Figures? I said, oh, my God, did you know that that's not who the movie is about? <laughs> I didn't know she was in Hidden Figures until I saw her in the scene. I, I was like, oh, her. she's in this? Because I don't know. I, I was all about the three leads. So yeah, exactly. I didn't pay attention. I didn't she, she is the sh- white sugar on a mayonnaise white bread sandwich. Oh my God. Always have. <laughs> wow. I can't stand Kirsten Dunst. So they, I'm so glad they casted her as that person because I've never been able to stand her. This is the same person that was cast as a French person. She apparently can go from being cast as North Dakota to French. I don't from know. From European to European. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't know she was in the movie, which I think says a lot because the media has not circulated other than Kevin Costner and Jim Parsons has not. I didn't know she was. In I didn't it know Jim Parsons was in it until I neither. Yeah, I just saw Kevin. Oh, yeah. I saw him I in the saw, trailer. Jim Parsons. Was yeah, in the trailer. he's in the trailer. And then he was interviewed on late night about the movie. Mm-hmm. So that's how I knew he was on there. In, in the movie, but I didn't know about Kristen Dunst, which I was like, congratulations, media. You didn't make it about a white woman for once. They did and a good job of making sh- that was Jim Parsons at first. I had to do a double take yeah. to realize that was Jim Parsons. He's aged. Well. He's aged. That's, mm. He doesn't look the way he does on Big Bang Theory anymore. But I, they did a really good job of promoting the three leads mm-hmm. in this they film. Did. So they did. I, I honestly, even Kevin Costner, like he's an afterthought. 
um, in the yeah. the promotion of the trailer and, and the way they did the campaign uh, promoting the film before it was released. I, I really didn't know much about Kevin's role in the movie until actually watching it. So I was really glad that they focus on the three leads because this is their story, you know? Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. And, you know, one really great surprise performance for me was Janelle Monet. I mean, yes. that, she was just amazing to watch. <laughs> mm-hmm. That courtroom she needs to scene. come on the podcast. Yeah, girl, I would, I would love girl. it. I, she she quote tweeted one of our articles on Black Girl Nerds, Angelique Roche, who wrote a fantastic article. She's written a few articles about hidden figures and uh, Janelle Monet quote tweeted it, and I just thought that that was awesome. So yeah, it it would be great to have her on the show. But that that courtroom scene where she gives that incredibly compelling monologue about that was first. Oh so good. I was just like, oh my oh, god. She she's just it was it was it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And and there was some applause in my theater after uh she had left the courtroom and she was able to get uh yeah. the opportunity to go to an all white school in in Hampton, Virginia, mm-hmm. which it's very interesting. I, I live in Virginia Beach and Hampton is only a good like 30 minutes away from me. And again, I've never heard about this story. It taking yeah. place in Hampton, Virginia in Langley. Um, I know about Langley, Langley Air Force Base in, in Hampton. Mm-hmm. I never heard about this story as a Virginia resident. So I just something. wanted to, yeah, I just wanted to point that out. Like, it's just amazing how this has literally been a hidden story for so many of us even people that locally live around the area erasure runs you know runs real deep when it comes to stories that they don't want told mm. where history they just is biased yeah you think not, that's where hidden fences came from <laughs> hidden fences. you know what because <laughs> <laughs> you know denzel did say that some people build fences to keep stuff out and some people build them to keep stuff in <laughs> And we will get to that so in our next don't. segment. You know what? <laughs> I can't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will say this about the hidden fences. She redeemed herself with her little letter she wrote to the Obama girls. I will say that Who just is a this? little bit. A twinge. A well, twinge. You know what? It. I'm sorry. I was not moved by that letter. Oh, I don't even know about this. What happened? The Bush girls wrote a letter to the Obama girls about leaving, uh, about, you know, their growth and development, growing up in the White House kind of thing. And now you're off to see the world kind of letter. It was a nice gesture, but I was not moved by that letter. There was nothing deep or profound about that letter. It sounded like chain mail. It sounded like something my my third grader could have written. There was nothing that was personal or connective except for the fact that they both they they share the common thread of of growing up in the white house but there was nothing that spoke to who the obama girls were are or their potential or there was nothing i felt like i felt like it was a handshake and not a hug and if you're going to make a gesture like that and make it so public to cover up your faux pas a couple nights before then you should probably make it a hug I get what you're saying. I mean, to tie it back to the movie, in a way, it made me think of something that the redheaded secretary who worked in the room, was she ever named? 
But if she had written she, something, yeah, I'm like, I don't, I don't think know her she name. Was. <laughs> if she had written something to Catherine after when Catherine was leaving and saying, "Oh, girl, I know what you went through. I went through the same thing," and I'm like, "You may have been in the same room that I was, but we went through different experiences because mm-hmm. mine was vastly worse than yours. Their yeah. experience, they, it was literally well, not literally, it was trial by fire for them yeah. since they were babies. Yeah. They have people have been on their case." Since they are, ba- they can't even breathe without somebody saying that I can't believe the bomb girls breathed over here and they're taking a good oxygen from good American people. I mean, they can't even walk down the street without somebody saying something to them. It's a completely different experience that these two sets of girls had. Yeah, and and I know there are a lot of people who were fawning over the Bush girls, saying it was so lovely and so nice, but there was just nothing. I I read the letter in its entirety, and I was not fucking impressed. I was like, you you write for a living. You work for the Today Show, bitch. Do better. Yeah. So, um, going back to the film, because I could care less about the Bush girls. Um, so, going back to the movie, was there anything that you found critical about the movies or any opportunities that could have been done better? No, but I love the fact that there was a love story that did not involve sex. Yeah, that it was, was so great. Sweet. Oh, that was, was a there was so a love was story a that was appropriately framed, story. and and I say appropriately framed not to diminish anyone's sexual prowess, but it was really nice to see a black man loving a black woman and her family without anything else being an issue. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he wasn't threatened by her. He wasn't threatened by her position or what she did for a living or, or the fact that she was a widow. And when he proposed, the girls, he, he included the whole family in scene. that. I thought it was beautiful. I love that scene. And then the line where he says, you're not just something, you're everything. Yeah. Oh, oh. girl. Oh. <sighs> My heart so just dropped. My husband <laughs> needs to come on the podcast, too. Come on, baby. Yes. I won't bite you unless you like it. I would love him <laughs> to come on the podcast. That would be amazing. I'm pretty sure Arjun and Sam could attest that you probably <laughs> bite Karan. <laughs> Karan can be professional. She interviewed Morris Chestnut and handled it just fine. Yes, very professional. <laughs> I, did. I sweat the whole time because restraint is an issue. But I did it. I made it through. I took one for the team. <laughs> what did you guys think about the music in the film? Oh, I loved, loved it. I thought it was great. The yeah. music was really great. It kept the story moving along. It didn't over mm-hmm. overpower the story. Um, I'm still listening to the soundtrack. I've been listening to it for a week straight. Yeah, me too. Good. It's a really good soundtrack. I, I love the contemporary vibe that Pharrell put on to the soundtrack. Like, you know, they could have easily just played songs of that era, but you know, he went ahead and put his own spin on it and uh i really enjoyed a lot of the tracks in it so yeah and he's not my favorite artist but he is a hell of a producer oh yeah he's an amazing producer he's a great mm-hmm. producer yeah the hip-hop vampire he is able to like <laughs> be as hip-hop current vampire. as possible well, yeah he, he went he through the 60s it. so he he was able to channel exactly. that, <laughs> that sound. shout out to the 757 pharrell what's up he needs to be on the podcast too. Be like, hey, yes, he be on the do, podcast. Do, yeah. We're Please. from the same area code. We need to make this happen. Cry. I would cry. <laughs> Tears of so much joy. I own every album that that man and his books. So Pharrell, please do it. 
Do it for the culture, please. Take one for the team, Pharrell. Please. <laughs> well, any uh, final thoughts on Hidden Figures? Everybody cost it goes on it. <laughs> yes, the dresses were fabulous. The dresses were, I oh, wanted to wear yeah. what everybody was wearing in that movie. Janelle like, Monae was, was serving some looks in that film. Oh, girl, what? Janelle Monae's outfits were the best. I loved oh. them. Woo. And I'm, I'm like, I'm, what lipstick is Taraji wearing? I need to know. Yes. <laughs> like a ruby red. I loved it. So pretty. I loved it. <sighs> I will say this. It's a it's a, a, a film that I went to see without my children because they're expensive. Um, but it's <laughs> it's such an it's an important film, not just because it's three black women that were a huge part of history that we don't know about. But I feel like it's the first time in a long time it's something appropriate young women can see and see themselves in on film without there being the overshadowing of hypersexuality or uh, slavery s- slavery, or, yeah. you know, abuse or, abuse. you know, it, it, it was really a story that centered around three women who had very full lives and very full brains and who knew how to use them. And they were, they were able to wait long enough until the timing was right, but they opened the doors for the rest of us. And mm-hmm. my my third grader has uh, has a Black History product, uh, Project, and the three names that we had to choose from were those three women from the movie. So um, I'm, I'm really encouraged. I'm really encouraged that it is, it is something that is family-friendly. Um, it was just mm-hmm. a beautiful film. It was a really beautiful film. Yeah. And I also would like to add that they're great role models. Like seeing this film, even though it took place decades ago, would be a great um, film to watch for young, impressionable kids to feel like, you know what? I could be a mathematician. I can be an engineer. I could work for NASA. I think that that is incredibly important. And it's so cool to see organizations like Black Girls Code partner up with Vox and do those screenings. And I think there was some article written that uh, there's uh, someone that's doing like screenings around the country and paying for young girls to come and see the film. So I think Octavia, that that's... Octavia bought out a theater. Um, she bought, bought out a theater so that um, lower income children could go and see the film. I think that's, I think that's incredibly important. And I think that's wonderful. And, and I hope that more people will, will follow suit with that because everybody should watch this film. Young women, men, white, black, like anybody really of all ages can watch this film and, and be entertained and really appreciate it for what it is. So go see Hidden Figures. Yes. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. I wanted to add, um, God, the trailers for this movie, the only, I saw this twice and the only um, two movies with black people were The Shack. I'm not even sure if I'm going to count that. And the movie about the reincarnated dog. I saw that in my theater <laughs> as well. Are you serious? Those are the only two out of all the trailers that I saw. Those are the only two movies with black people in them. Well, then it, there was also the movie with uh, David Oliel. Oli- I can never say his last name. Oh, right? yeah. Oh, yeah. I did see that one. I yeah, that, that one. one. <laughs> Um, in my theater, uh, they also showed that trailer during Fences. Um, yeah, but I am kind of looking forward to the shack because I read the book, 
And that is a fantastic story because God is a black woman. I know. Oh, my God. Yes. So, mm-hmm. And Octavia yes, Spencer is, is playing her. So mm-hmm. what more can you yes. ask for there? They mad about that too, girl. Yeah. Oh, God. They're even more mad. Okay. Hidden Figures made $26 million this weekend. And that's over because I've been looking at this and laughing internally for all afternoon. So Live By <laughs> Night, the Ben Affleck movie, also opened this weekend. And it made $6.1 million out of a $65 million budget. <laughs> Ouch. For him yes. to play a white gangster. Look at that. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> so Silence, the Scorsese film that everybody's been talking about, has expanded theaters and it made 2.3 million out of a 50 million budget. So <laughs> and I, think I wish... know why the Ben Affleck movie did Ooh. wrong so uh did so horribly. Zoe's hold on, I was in it. That's why. Don't blame her. Yeah. <laughs> I blame I blame her Don't, for everything no, blame, now. Don't blame Yikes. her for this because it would I blame be just her like them to everything. put it all on the black girl, though. I blame uh, not in the black ice on my street right now. Mm. Mm. Not in the, I don't want them to blame this horrible movie on her. Just, it was a black girl. Don't put black girls in movies, and that's it. I blame but her. You know, that's what Hollywood take from this. I blame her for my trash not getting picked up <laughs> Monday. I blame her. <laughs> so the best is Monster Trucks, which, which also opened this weekend. That made... Um, 15 million out of 115 million budget. You want to know what my child said when he saw the trailer for that? He goes, that kind of looks stupid. We go see something else. It does look stupid. (laughs) So you see all these movies that Hollywood keeps making, and it's like the same formula over and over again, and they're not doing well. Exactly. And you see this one movie with a formula that they said would never work. Not only do you have one black woman, you have three black women starring in this movie, and they said this could not happen. And then it's not only is it box, it's leading the box office, it's leading the box office over the movies that everyone else thought should have been leading the box office. Exactly. And shout out to Margot Lee Shatterley, who wrote the book that's based this movie. Mm -hmm. It's a film adaptation of the book Hidden Figures. So if it wasn't for her writing this story and putting it out there, who knows if this film ever would have gotten made. So shout out to her for uh, bringing this to light for so many of us. And Katherine Johnson to get her dues before she died. That is so nice. We never, yeah, because yeah, a lot of the times we always get our roses afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm glad she so was able nice to live to got, see it. Yeah. She got her, her medal. She got her building name after her. That's the part where I cried. It was at the very end when they showed, you know, what happened after these women got promoted and what happened to Katherine Jackson or uh, Katherine Johnson and what happened to Dorothy Vaughn and and, and to Mary Johnson. And I just I cried because I was just like, wow, these women are just now getting these accolades. And then Katherine Johnson just getting an accolade as of last year. um, I I, I just cried because I'm just like, wow. Um, You know, they really don't appreciate us. No. What yeah. else do we not know about our history? What else? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's gonna be a story of a black woman that was a Nazi killer come out, and it's gonna be a true story. You're gonna be like, where the hell has this story been? I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so there's 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 a lot of stories out there. Yeah, a lot people of people just need to go ahead and uh, just make these things happen. And yeah. I'm glad Hidden Figures. I appreciate you, Mel, sharing that information about those facts and figures because it's good to know what movies are actually the ones people mm-hmm. are paying money to see yeah and ones yeah. that people really aren't so yeah and check Teddy your ticket when you go see oh it 
Check your tickets because they're make, still make sure. Make sure somebody didn't buy a ticket for Silence. Let that movie fail, please. Thank you. And please, please, guys, don't bootleg <laughs> I, I this can't movie. With silence. Please don't bootleg uh, Hidden Figures. Please no, don't. do not. Just put your money. Put your money where your mouth is. Like, if you want to see representation, pay money and see these films. So that way more of them can be made. Don't Or don't Hidden Figures. It. Less silent. Tell your dude outside of Walmart, not this week, I'm going to spend my good money on actually going to see it because that's what I had to tell my person. Because it's only $7 to go see it on a Saturday morning at AMC. AMC movies from 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock. The movies are seven to eight dollars. My my ticket for a matinee at Cinemark was four dollars and fifteen cents. Yeah, mine was like five twenty five. So, so y'all can do it. It can Instead be done, of, guys. Downloading it, don't do that. Bootleg passengers or something like just don't. No, <laughs> don't hurt yourself. <laughs> just don't do <laughs> hidden Love figures. Love yourself in twenty seventeen. Don't do that. No. Not it's mm. <laughs> a sour cream salad. Ew. That's why I said boot like it. <laughs> All right. Um, so we're going to move on to our next film, which was a huge holiday favorite. And a lot of folks came out on Christmas Day to see it. And uh, people are still coming out this weekend and previous weekends to see it. And that's the film called Fences, starring Denzel Washington and Viola Davis, based on the August Wilson play. So let's talk about it. What did you guys think of Fences? Oh my gosh. Um, I gotta tell you, it had been so long since I've seen the play. Um, my, my family members have done a lot of August Wilson over the years, but I... Plays don't always translate well into film. And I thought how this film was treated was absolutely remarkable. I felt like I was there. I felt like I was a part of that family, or at least I wanted to be, so I could help a brother out or help a sister out. You know, I wanted to talk to Viola for a minute. You know, I just... (laughs) I, um... Mm -hmm. It was so heartfelt that it was almost surreal the performances were out of this world every last one of them were out of this world the laughter was real the 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 ambiance the, you didn't have you know the the music that you usually get the score and all of that that you get with a lot of the other films there was no interference and I think that any person that calls themselves an actor or aspires to be in film in any kind of way or on stage this should be required work. Um, I remember having to read this and read the play in theater when I was in high school. And um, it struck a chord with me. And then, of course, we watched the James Earl Jones version. Mm-hmm. We got to watch that. And that was really profound for me to see, too. Um, but I wasn't ready for how <laughs> emotional that this was. Mm-hmm. Um, Viola deserves every award that they can possibly make. Um, if they have uh, awards on Mars, she does. She, she deserves, deserves all that. the things, all the everything. things, everything. And um, her snot deserved an award. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> 
the I was just like, Viola, just wipe your nose, please. Just wipe your nose because I'm getting distracted. Girl, but it was girl, it was so poignant. I, I just not. She it it's it just it hit um the 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 pull the that tug and pull with Troy and and Corey. Oh my god! Yeah. I just wasn't. I wasn't ready. I, I wasn't, wasn't ready because I feel like it's an older child mentality, and especially one that I have with your parents, where you don't feel like you're enough. Mm-hmm. I felt that, and it was hard for me to watch it. I was I I think I had Viola Davis snot on my face um, because <laughs> it was I was enough to go around. Yeah, I was just crying so hard. <laughs> I, I didn't know how to feel. Um, after leaving it because it just all sat with me it's like um a lot of getting right with yourself um and having to have some perspective and I wasn't ready for how I walked out the movie theater feeling it was just so good movies are supposed to do that to you that's what people there are times when I want to watch a movie and just laugh that's when I pull out Tropic Thunder I don't, that's, that's when I'm like, I just need a moment to be stupid. But when I want to feel something, um, this is what I'm going to go to. I'm going to buy it the day it comes out on DVD. Um, download it on iTunes. I don't know. I'm going to have it everywhere because movies are supposed to make you feel those things. And as uncomfortable as it made me feel, it still felt good to feel uncomfortable, if that makes sense. So I, I don't know that ugh, it was so good. <laughs> it, it was, it was good. The, the performances were, I mean, arguably I think this was the best performance of Denzel Washington's career by far. Yes. Lord. It, it's Lord. the best performance like training day, which he earned the Academy award for was really good. But this one far exceeds training day, far exceeds glory. Uh, I just thought, his character, Choi Maxson, man. I mean, from the beginning where, you know, he's sort of this lighthearted and he, he's a man that tells all of these stories and he's funny and charismatic. But then you realize, you know, he's got a lot of issues that he's battling with. He's got a lot of insecurity and, and he's trying to measure up to be the man that he wants his sons to respect and he's he's battling with that and he just goes through all of these hills and valleys throughout the film that man i i haven't seen a performance like that in a really long time and denzel just does it with ease and and he just does it so seamlessly it it was beautiful and magnificent to watch and kayla you mentioned like the 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 push and and, and pull of his character and Corey, you know, mm-hmm. when he says strike one and that's strike two. And I'm just like, man. And, and then the allegories and the metaphors rather between baseball and, uh, you know, all of the, the things that's happening with the family. And then of course the fences, it being built itself. And then Denzel, um, his character, Troy, trying to keep this family fenced in uh, when really he's actually keeping himself out. Like it's just, there's yeah. these really great metaphors throughout the, the story. And I actually, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed to say this. I, I did not know much about the August Wilson play prior to watching this film. I had heard about Fences, but I had never seen it. I never read the play. So this was my first time 
being exposed to the story when I went into really? the movie theater. Yeah, yeah. Believe it or not. And I, I, I took drama as a kid. I was a thespian in high school, whole nine. But um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed this film. And, and the performances, aside from Denzel and Viola's, which of course was superb, even like the supporting characters were yes. really good. Both of the sons were amazing. His friend was amazing. Uh, his friend was amazing. Uh, and then the, the, the daughter, Sanaya Sydney, she was recently a guest on our podcast. She was, Michael T. She was so brilliant. I mean, everybody at every turn and every scene just hit it out of the ballpark. There you go. Great metaphor um, for, <laughs> for fences. So, yeah, it's it's such a great movie. And you know what was what's really powerful is that Denzel um, has a deal for the other for nine other of August Wilson's plays. I heard about that. But, I heard about he that. He said nobody. He he said this in every interview, including the one um, that I the press conference I was able to sit in on. Nobody's going to stop him. This means that he can put actors to work. This means that he can put directors to work. But this was a self-directed role, which I think speaks volumes to his performance. Um, and the subject matter itself, in and of itself, was a very, very real life situation. Right. It's it's interesting it was, to just really quick, because um, as you had mentioned that um, August Wilson and, and Denzel Washington is going to be doing nine plays. Grace Gibson, she had wrote an article on Black Girl Nerds about fences. And I didn't know this either about August Wilson, that he wanted a black man to direct fences he wanted yeah. a black man to do a film adaptation of this so that's awesome that there's going to be more of his work that's going to be done by denzel washington so i just wanted to point that out he got all of it and he said nobody is going to stop him and i i was just so i was pleased as punch because i grew up on august wilson plays but like i said theater doesn't always translate well to film but the it way does. The care you- that they took for this was really just, it was breathtaking. The performances were breathtaking. Mm. They were breathtaking. Um, his brother in the film, Michael T., he was just, oh, God. Yes. Oh, God. He, that, and I had written a review about it on Black Girl Nerds. I'm surprised that there wasn't more buzz about, about his him. performance. Yeah. yeah. Like, his performance was stellar. Like, why aren't, why was he not nominated? Why aren't people talking about it? It was superb. It, it was, was superb. It was, it was just, it was glorious. It, it I, really was. Yeah. Oh, you know, all my life I had to fight. <laughs> I mean, people talk about his role as Bubba Gump and, and Forrest Gump, and that was all great, but this was far better for me. This was far, far better. There was just so much depth. In, in each of them, there was so much, it, you just get pulled in. You get pulled into the entire story. You get pulled into each character. And mm-hmm. and with Viola, um, she deserves all the things that the earth has to offer her. I, I hope <laughs> she, she wins her Oscar as well. She just, oh my God. That to her Golden Globe. I can't even, the snot deserves an and award. And her Emmy. It, it's, I mean, come She'll on. be a triple, it, if she gets the Oscar, she would have earned an Emmy, a Golden Globe, and an Oscar. And then all she needs is a Tony. Oh, oh my God! If she gets a Tony, what? What? Didn't Did she um? Didn't didn't no, she pre- didn't no, she, she perform didn't. Fences she did on, do it on Broadway? She was nominated for a Tony. Yeah, okay. but she didn't get it yet. She hasn't got right. it yet. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
what do they call it if you get all four? It's called um, something. I don't know. And only like a few people have ever gotten it. Yeah, uh, I think Whoopi Goldberg is one of them. Whoopi Goldberg is one of them. I don't know who the other one is. Uh, I think it's all women too, which is Oscar, Tony, Emmy, and a Golden Globe. Well, I'm happy with her just having all three. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I think that's a big deal. But yeah, she, she, like you guys said, she deserves all the things. Fences was She just is beautiful. also showing you that success does not stop at a certain freaking age. And that yeah. is amazing. Yes. I remember seeing her. We, um, I had just got finished doing Doubt in high school when they did the movie. And... It was so, she was so amazing. And she just keeps getting better and better, like a freaking fine wine. And I can't, <laughs> I, can't I, I can't fathom what else she's going to do. But whatever it is, it is it's going to be amazing. And just like Karan said, play does not always, trans. I was really worried about how this was going to translate yeah. to the movie. Because James Earl, like, if you have a chance to look at James Earl Jones on stage, do it. That crazy. monologue will crazy make you cry. Who cry? You will cry. Um, and it doesn't always translate well. So I was really worried. I'm like, oh, I hope this does well. And it it did. It surpassed it. And I can only think of maybe five plays that have successfully, in my opinion, translated well to film. And this is one of them. Just, just amazing. Yeah. I also think Fences, you know, the the issues that were brought up in, in the film were very important and still so relevant about how men think of themselves. Yeah. What what kind of uh what kind of man you choose to be. Um, even when it came down to, you know, him revealing that there was a baby coming and and, and there Girl. was an affair. He did not make apology. And he said, she said, are you going to stop messing with it? He was like, no, nah, I need that too. I was like, you know what? I wanted to hit him upside the head with one of those two by fours. But if it wasn't for some of these other women, some of these marriages wouldn't have lasted, period. Yeah. That's the truth. Now, I, but at the same time, the heartbreak, you could hear her heartbreak. You could hear her heartbreak. And the first thing she did is the thing that all of us women do. We say, why wasn't I enough for you? Yep. Did I not do it right? Am I not enough when you come home? And he and, and he said, I come home every night. I'm here every day of the year. I come home every night. And she said, 18 years. 18 years. And then you bring a baby into this house. And it, I just... Oh, Girl, I just, you know, I don't, sh feelings and me don't always display publicly. So, um, and I happened to be in the theater. It was the first show of the day and there were a bunch of really cute elderly old black women there. Girl, you should have heard them screaming at the screen. Uh, it was hilarious. They hollered at that man so bad. They told him about himself three, three ways to Sunday. And then we all cheered together. We laughed together. It was so, it was such an experience. It was a shared experience in the theater because everybody was in sync. Everybody was so 
deeply connected into what was happening on the screen. There were no distractions, which I think was was the most amazing thing about how they executed this film. There were no distractions. And I'd like to think, you know, we can easily judge Rose for staying with Troy after, you know, he has this affair and gets another woman pregnant. Like, why did you stay? And even in my mind, I'm thinking, what is wrong with you, Rose? But I'd like to think that the reason why she stayed was for her family, that Mm -hmm. her whole life is about family. And even after the aftermath of this affair, you can tell that Rose stopped loving Troy after that. Like yep. she, she was with him, but she was no longer his wife in the way a wife should be to a husband where you're in love, where, you know, this is a relationship. She was only with him for the sake of being a mother to his children. And, and she told him straight up, you are now a womanless man. And you're a womanless man. That's right. So she, mm-hmm. she stopped loving him, but stayed in the marriage. And, and in that respect, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like I, I, I didn't want to. I don't feel like I could judge her for that, you know? I don't know if I could do the same thing in, in her shoes, but I, I definitely don't feel like she should be shamed for staying because of, you know, her sense of being, um, of giving some sense of duty to her own family for, you know, being able to raise them and, and be there for them. Um, and she didn't have to because she didn't have any natural children. None of those children were hers. She um I, I don't I don't think we could blame her either, but also look at the time. She didn't work either. You know, he came home and bought her his check every week. Yeah. And it, it just it spoke volumes to me about the sacrifices we make as women. The concessions that we make as women. And when she decided to stop loving him. It was because she had given all of herself for all that time and realized that he was only accepting part of that. So she kept the rest for herself. Yeah. And in the end, you know, when he, when he passed on and and there was the funeral, she could look at her life with the kind of perspective that only comes with death, with the kind of perspective that her sacrifices were not in vain. And I have a, a, that's bittersweet to me because I don't want to live my life thinking that it's been in vain and I don't want to stay in the place where love doesn't exist. But at the same time, this baby for her was the rebirth of love for her. And she didn't see that coming. Hmm. I didn't think about it like that because I'm, I mean, I grew up in a family where, adultery was a thing and you either you stayed or you left and a lot of the people in my family decided to stay very Mm -hmm. few left um but they would stay until the children were out of the house right and then leave um and say i'm done because they stay for the family so like Jamie said, I don't know if I could have done that. Mm-hmm. I can't. And sometimes I, I, that works and sometimes it doesn't, you yeah. know? Yeah, it depends on the person. It, it definitely depends on the person. Um, I just, I don't think it's built in me to stay when someone's betrayed me that way, especially betrayed me to the point where they 
conceived a child with this person. Like I don't. Yeah, I'm not staying. I, I'm not, <laughs> I, not, not happening. I couldn't do it. But props to Rose. Um, is there anything about the film that you found critical or anything opportunities that you thought it could have done better? No, no. I, I actually thought it was freaking perfection. I thought yeah. it was. I thought it was the best of American theater and American cinema. Mm. That is the best film. That is the best theater I've seen brought to film in my life. If yeah. it doesn't get, uh, I agree with that. Yeah, if it doesn't get m- more war- awards than it's deserved, I'm gonna be highly upset. If Denzel uh, does not win, and Casey Affleck wins, I will be pissed. Somebody gonna have to get right with Jesus because I'm coming with for somebody if Casey Affleck gets another thing. Oh, I can't wait till the Oscars round up if that happens. Let me tell you. I I will be pissed because it's just (sighs) mediocrity, man. White mediocrity. It's so pervasive in Hollywood. Really is. (laughs) I, I, yeah. Uh, Anyway, I mean. I have not seen Manchester by the Sea, so. I have Why no desire to see Manchester by the Sea. The same thing she plays in every freaking movie. I'm so sick of Michelle Williams being nominated for bullshit. I'm sorry. That made me really <laughs> mad. It's a, No, she plays the same damn thing. You found her did you see the movie, so though? Did, did you see it? I did. I watched it. How was his performance compared Horrible. to... He is not. He wants to be his brother so incredibly bad. He wants. Why? To be, his brother's not that great of an actor, though. <laughs> exactly. Why? So he tries to do this thing where he's like, you can tell he's trying to pick up on mannerisms of Ben, and it doesn't work for you. You are the uh, the younger brother. Um, you kind of suck. You're. Uh, I'm not saying the word. I'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt. I'm done talking about Casey. He's an ass. Um. But yeah, the movie was horrible. Um, I got to watch a screener of it and it was just bad. Interesting. Very bad. interesting that he won that award over Denzel Washington. Like, blows my mind. It really does. Cause and that I, was before I saw the film and I was like, there's no way. But then again, La La Land like swept all of the awards during the Golden Globes and that I don't understand, but yet Moonlight Well, they like it the when one. white people can stay on beat. Hey! <laughs> I was real. I'm serious. They love it when white people can stay on beat. And isn't that like another white savior film about the the founding of jazz? It's aren't they all? (laughs) Yeah, he well, he's obsessed with jazz, and he well, and the guy who directed it, he like his love letter to jazz. I love musicals, and I love old MGM, so. I enjoyed it for it being a musical. Do I think it was the best movie of the year? Hell no. Um, I just enjoyed it for the fact that the music was really pretty. Like, it's just pretty music. And I enjoyed it for what it was, but there's no way in hell it beat Moonlight. That's stupid. Yeah. Um, that You can enjoy it, um, but it, it getting nominated. Ryan didn't deserve to get nominated for anything. Oh, and Moonlight is being re-released in theaters nationwide, too. Thank yep. God. Because I need to see that. <laughs> I need to see it. I need to see it. Well, any final thoughts on Fences? Everybody uh, go see it. See it today. 
See it, love it, be it, embrace it, make it a part of your artistic life. It will be better for it. Um, (laughs) Yeah. The the thing I saw that really cracked me up is I saw a headline that said, Viola Davis out Denzel to Denzeliest of Denzels. There is something similar to that. (laughs) She out Denzel to Denzeliest. Um, (laughs) Denzelism. (laughs) That's funny. It was hilarious, but... It the it, you just it just do it. They both outdid themselves. They both yeah. outdid themselves, and it it. He does that with every role. He he he. You think he can't get any better? Like you remember? I remember watching. Remember the Titans being like, he can't get any better than this, and then he does every single time because he's amazing. That's what he is. Even though he said some stupid shit in that interview yeah. we're gonna ignore it we're gonna ignore what he said because he no we're some- not no we're not <laughs> i think That's i think Den's, are, are you talking about the social media comment no we're talking about the comment about their colorism, not being colorism. oh okay yeah that'll be another podcast we're not going to ignore it we're just going to give him the space and grace that time allows how about that <laughs> we'll do that all right. Well, go see Fences, guys. It's it's a prolific film. It's brilliant. And if you want to find out more information about Fences, go to blackgirlnerds.com. There's a review up there about it. And we did a review about Hidden Figures, so check that out as well. Thank you to Karan, Mel, and Kayla for joining us on this great Best of slash Hidden Fences episode. <laughs> <laughs> our 100th episode of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Yay! The Black Girl Nerds podcast is produced by Jamie Brodnax. Various episodes are edited by Jamie Brodnax, M.R. Daniel, and John Bauer. The opening theme song to our show is written and performed by Samus. Various instrumentals are performed by Samus, Sky Blue, and Shubzilla. You can find episodes of the Black Girl Nerds podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spreaker, and Spotify. That was a HeadGum Podcast.